Good evening, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out, PBS 12's weekly roundtable that brings together journalists, pundits, and other members of the community to talk about recent events in Denver, Colorado, and sometimes the rest of the world. Queen Elizabeth. I'm Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, and I'll be attempting to moderate this panel, which tonight includes David Kopel, research director at the Independence Institute and adjunct law professor at University of Denver. Welcome. Eric Sonderman, political columnist for Colorado Politics and the Denver and Colorado Springs Gazettes. Penn Tate, former state lawmaker, attorney and founder of Tate Law. And Denise Mays, recovering attorney, political strategist, and head of May Solutions. Welcome all. Thank you. And we've got a great panel for this group. For this first question, Leslie Harrod just announced that she's running for Denver mayor, joining other recent announced candidates, including City Councilwoman Debbie Ortega, businessman Tom Wolf, and Kelly Bruff, former head of the Denver Chamber of Commerce. David, what do you think about the recent additions to the field, and will this be it? <coughs> no, I think we'll probably see some more folks getting in. But I'd say right now there, there's a top tier of, of three. And I would put as the, the front runner, the head of that top tier, uh, Debbie Ortega. She has been involved in Colorado, in Colorado and Denver politics since the 1970s. She was a uh, city councilwoman from Northwest Denver till she got term limited out of that. And then she ran for at-large city council and has won that three times. So she's the only one in the race who has ever won a citywide election in Denver. And probably more voters have met her in all her races uh, than any of the other candidates out there. So she, she starts out with a lot of personal recognition. You'd also have to put in that top three uh, State Representative Leslie Harrod, who was a, has been a very effective uh, state legislator in, in terms of getting bills done. Um, she's obviously got a well-oiled campaign because there was, just before she announced, there was polling going on out there, which just happened to, without using her name, using a, a pseudonym, uh, tested her campaign themes of, you know, people, not politics, and, and, and things like that. She has another advantage that even if they agree to the uh, campaign finance limits in Denver, you can't stop donors from giving to independent expenditures to support a candidate. And a uh, efficient spender would say, well, she may not win for mayor of Denver, but she's still next year, if she doesn't, she's going to be chair of the House Appropriations Committee and she's on the Joint Budget Committee. So she has a lot of power over state government spending and therefore somebody who wants to stay on her good side just might make a substantial donation to an independent expenditure for her even if they don't think she's necessarily going to win and then you'd have kelly bruff uh like you said head of the denver chamber of commerce also very well connected presumably going to be able to raise money for her campaign and also will have a lot of friends who will spend independently and i'd say if we're going to have a wild card like we had with john hickenlooper you know the, this brew pub owner uh winning the race back in uh you, thousands of years ago, I think, um, it would be Terrence Roberts, who was a former gang member, became, has become an anti-gang activist, and he might just, if, if they're going to go for a real outsider, uh, maybe he might be the one. Wow, that's the first comparison of Terrence Roberts and John Hickenlooper I've ever heard. Except <laughs> maybe you would make it, Eric. Yeah. So you'll yeah. have plenty to write about in the next several months. Uh, there will be no shortage to write about in the next several months. Uh, several quick ones. First of all, I'm fascinated by the timing of this. Everyone is focused on the November election, but all of a sudden there have been these spate of announcements. And I'm not quite sure, Patty, what is driving them. I think it's, 
Kelly Bruff got in, so that sort of forced Debbie Ortega's hands. Debbie got in, forced Leslie's hand. Um, I'm not sure anyone is really focused on the mayor's race or will be until after November comes and goes. I think David did list the three serious candidates so far, but I don't think that's near the entire field. I think Chris Hansen, state senator, state rep, now state senator from central Denver, certainly looks like a candidate to me. I would anticipate Chris Hansen probably getting in sooner rather than later. There are other names floating out there. Former state senator Mike Johnston, now running a local foundation, is certainly thinking about it and exploring it. Walter Eisenberg, businessman, Sage Hospitality, has anything but taking his name out of consideration. We've yet to hear from the person who will go next here, uh, Mr. Tate, as to his intentions. Uh, Amber McReynolds, who is a person of accomplishment, problem solver around town, has been lobbied and pushed and is still thinking about this thing. So I think the field is still wide open. On the Leslie Herod piece, final note here, it is bothersome to me, per David's point about the Joint Budget Committee, et cetera. I think it is enough to run for one office at a time. And if you know you're going to run for mayor, as she obviously has known for some time and just announced yesterday, she should not be in the business of running for re-election to the State House. That is wrong. Pick the office you want to run for. How are you going to be a state representative when campaigning for mayor is a full-time job? That is wrong, and uh, she ought to rectify that. Okay, well, Ben, how has the new financing law changed the timing on when people to run out? You know, I think it's changed the timing because there have been a number of folks who have expressed a concern that the public funding pot may go broke, and the question may become whether council replenishes it. Uh, I think council has a self-interest in making sure it's replenished as well as as the current mayor. But you know, David and Eric, I think summed up um, the 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 race pretty well. I would offer a couple other thoughts. Um, what's interesting about what's occurred at this point is we have candidates who have filed paperwork. But there's only one candidate who's done an announcement event, and that was Leslie Herod. And what's interesting there is she's not going to get a second bounce. So you can't wait until later and do another I'm running event. And this is probably too early to have done what she did. Debbie and Kelly and others just filed paperwork, but they didn't have big announcements or big events. Um, Eric's right in terms of other people thinking about this. In addition to the names he's listed, um, I'm sure Lisa Calderon is looking at this. Jamie Gillis, uh, I know, is probably talking with folks about it. Candidly, um, I've been talking with folks and thinking about that or maybe council at large or something. The field is not set. And what's interesting is in a mayor's race, there are a series of cross currents. And David sort of alluded to this when he said they're current front runners, but the current front runners are in October are probably irrelevant until the field is set and you know who all is running because I think who the front runners are and who's viable changes radically once you know who's filed by the deadline. And tough timing with Leslie Herod, Queen Elizabeth. You don't get a lot of headlines <laughs> that night. Denise, you running? Anything to announce now? <laughs> I, I was just going to say, let me first of all say I am not running. And I was sort of hoping my friend uh, Penn here would give us a, a news break. But um, uh, breaking news, I mean, but apparently not. Um, what I think is fascinating, uh, or even in, in your question, um, that the top three candidates, they're all, they're all women, except for, except for Tom Wolf, of course. And what I also appreciate about the women that are running is the diversity that they also bring to the field. Kelly Bruff, 
you have Leslie Harrod as an African-American, you have Debbie Ortega as a Latina and very well um, versed in community and community issues. So I think that's great. I mean, I think Penn is correct that we can say right now they're the front runners, but we're going to have to wait a little while until things um, work themselves out a little bit. And I am a little surprised that um, uh, I would think that the timing would be after Labor Day, uh, maybe after November, I think the worrisome about announcing after November is the finance uh, dollars that are available. And um, there's already a lot of folks that are taking advantage of that and have taken some of that matching dollars out. And so we can see that pot dwindle as time goes. So um, uh, w wait and see, but I, I'm sure we'll see some other folks in the race. Well, and we have till next April before that vote. But in the meantime, Colorado's election is just 60 days away. And it's heating up quickly. We've got um, Governor Polis is now running some ads. You've got national attention being paid to the Senate race between Joe O'Day and Michael Bennett. Uh, Kev, uh, Eric, what do you think are the races to watch, statewide races to watch in November? I think the Senate race is certainly high on that list. Uh, Michael Bennett has obviously been one of the longest serving senators that Colorado has had in some time. <laughs> Joe Day is running a very interesting race. I mean, the rule of thumb in the Republican Party, in both parties for that matter, but particularly the Republican Party of late, has been to run to the base, run to the base, activate the base, turn out, turn out, turn out. And O'Day is doing something dramatically different. He is consciously running toward the center and seeing if he can pull that off. Obviously, in a state like Colorado, increasingly blue, just motivating the Republican base, as so many candidates have tried, is not going to work. So Joe O'Day is trying to flip the script here. We'll see if the new script works or not. Bennett is still the favorite here. I think what it, it was my column, uh, Labor Day column, so this uh, running this past week, is trying to take a look at the landscape of where we are. And I think the fundamental shift in the landscape is it is no longer assured to be the huge Republican wave year that many people predicted and that seemed to have been building all year long. The combat, there have been a number of elections around the country that shows the edges off of that Republican wave. It's a combination of the Dobbs decision, combination of the January 6th hearings and what's gone on at Mar-a-Lago, combination of the related threat to democracy that many people perceive. And all of a sudden, the Republican playbook of crime and inflation and what they uh, portray as an inept president is maybe not the voting issues where people are at here with 60 days to go, and it's really in Colorado a lot less than that when ballots go out in mid-October. Penn, what race are you watching? Uh, you know, the, the same, too, that, that Eric mentioned. I think the Senate race is interesting uh, because I think he's right. I think when the, the Supreme Court handed out the Dobbs decision, they really impacted um, the conservative wing of the Republican Party. They got what they wanted in terms of Roe being overturned. And I, I can't recall, and maybe David can, another time where a Supreme Court decision overturned what was previously established as a constitutional right. But, but that has scared people, and I think it's motivated women, it's motivated um, progressive voters, and I think it's hurt the Republican Party. And I think that's why Joe O'Day's, his playbook has changed because 
the Colorado Republican base is not the same as the national Republican base. And so he's running more to the more moderate, um, centrist Colorado Republican base. Don't know if he can pull it off um, in his run against Bennett. Um, I think um, from Bennett's point of view, his supporters are saying he's done no harm and has maybe done some good things. But when Axios and others report that his voting record is more in, in line with, with Biden than, than um, AOC, that causes people some concern that perhaps he's gone too far. And finally, in the governor's race, um, uh, Ms. Canal has got to figure something out um, to hit the radar screen at some point, because at this, I think at this juncture, the governor can pretty well coast with the commercials he's done, and you know he, he usually self-funds. She's got to give people a reason to get out and vote for her, or, or she's in trouble. Her husband does make good barbecue, but that might not be enough. Denise, what race are you watching? Well, I think like everybody else, I'm definitely watching the U.S. Senate race. I think it's interesting um, what Eric and Penn talk about with O'Day trying to play to the center. But the real O'Day is not so centric. And in fact, he has more, you know, as, as recent as early August, you know, declared his 100 percent support for Trump and also stated pretty unequivocally that Trump had nothing at all to do with the January 6th insurrection. Now, fast forward a month and he's backing off of those things a little bit and wants to pivot and talk about other things. Similarly, he has been a staunch opponent to abortion rights and abortion access, but now also that one, he's sort of trying to walk back a little bit and maybe have some room for exceptions. So um, I think that's kind of interesting. The one I'm really curious about, I really thought the Secretary of State's race would be getting a little bit more play, most particularly because I think Pam Anderson is a very formidable candidate and a very formidable opponent to uh, current Secretary of State Jenna Griswold, but I just haven't seen a, a lot of her stuff out there yet, and maybe those are ads yet to come. But I would imagine that would be a close race. And I'm thinking the Attorney General's race uh, might turn out, um, given the whole crime fear-mongering narrative, that I think uh, District Attorney John Kellner might try to use a little bit more to his advantage. David, which one is the one to watch? Well, to, to Penn's point, um, among the times that previous Supreme Court decisions took away long-established rights, there was a, a cascade in the 1930s through the 1950s where people lost their right of liberty of contract, lost a great deal of right to control their property, lost the right to follow a, a lawful trade or calling of their choice, and even lost the right to choose whether or not to join uh, a union. Um, in terms of these races, I... For, for the state constitutional offices other than governor, I continue to think that Jenna Griswold is is the most vulnerable. It, it's, it depends on exogenous factors. But she's the one who's, I, I think, kind of made a fool of herself in some ways. She's obviously a tremendously strong campaigner. You know, you, you bring her into somebody's living room for a fundraiser, she is spectacular. But the way she's run the office has been substantially worse than the performance of, of uh, the attorney general or the treasurer in running their offices, much more in, internal problems. Well, we will have more time to talk about this, 60 more days. But right now, the big talk in town is the Broncos season is starting this week with new owners and with a new quarterback, Russell Wilson. ESPN just did a big story on what really got Wilson to move to Denver. And do you No, I really don't. I'm uh, 
we've had uh, over the last several years. But I do find it just a little bit interesting that his old team and his old head coach couldn't just live and let live. They had to take a few shots at him and release the fact that they tried to trade him before. I thought he took the high ground in saying it's a business. Uh, you know, if Johnny Unitas and, you know, Tom Brady can get cut from their teams, who am I to think that I get to stay a Seahawk forever? So I appreciate his taking the high road. And when we look locally, I mean, Von Miller was a cult figure here when we rose and won his Super Bowl, and he was the MVP, and he left, and people said he was washed up. He won his Super Bowl with the Rams. Now it looks like he might win a Super Bowl with, with the Bills, and it just goes to show you maybe he wasn't losing anything. He was just on a horrible team, and he needed to be on a better team to perform. Denise, now we have a Walmart family in charge of the Broncos instead of the Bolins. <laughs> See any big changes? Uh, well, I think the I think the big change is a heck of a lot of energy. There is just so much uh, enthusiasm, and and I think part of the enthusiasm is Russell Wilson too. So it's uh, it's a big deal. I do think it is interesting. Um, how this story comes out. And of course, you know, the, the game is going to be in Seattle with the Broncos. And so, hey, let's take some shots at Russell Wilson now and, and try to bring him back a notch and maybe scare him a little bit for the big game. But I, I'm with Penn that, you know, Denver is so excited to have Russell Wilson here. I'm going to be watching the game and I'm going to be going, go Russell and go Broncos. So um, I'm bringing the same energy that I think the rest of the city is bringing. David, any armchair quarterbacking for us? Well, Russell Wilson in Seattle was was uh, a really good community guy, very involved in, in lots of, of charities and, and a constructive member of the community. Um, and, you know, I think Penn and I remember uh, Denver's first black quarterback, uh, Marlon the Magician Briscoe, who stepped in after Denver's other two quarterbacks were injured in the 1968 season and, and did a great job. Uh, but for me, there, there's no excitement for following the Broncos because I don't anymore. Um, when you had co the combination of uh, Donald Trump and Colin Kaepernick, Tweedledum and Twe Tweedledee and Tweedledumber, uh, both inciting this whole kneeling against the national anthem controversy and the way the NFL got itself out of it was to mollify the players by saying, okay, we'll take a lot of our revenue and we'll give it to the causes you guys want, which as it turns out is defunding the police. And I don't support organizations that want to defund the police. They've got their complete free speech, of course, uh, to do that. But when they support such a bad cause, uh, in my view, I'll, I'll get my entertainment elsewhere. Horse racing's on 24 seven practically. <laughs> Well, and here's our eternal sports optimist, Eric Sonderman. Well, maybe the eternal sports optimist. I, uh, I will take credit for calling the Avs Cup right, if, despite <laughs> all of my t times of missing it on the Rockies. Um, never let it be said that the NFL doesn't know how to market. I mean, having the first game of the season be Russell Wilson and the Broncos returning to Seattle, it doesn't get better than that. At the risk of being Debbie Downer here, and I didn't know David was going to go where David went, I, too, have lost a heck of a lot of my enthusiasm for football. I used to be a big football fan, spend way too much time at it. My reasons aren't political like David's, although I hear where he's coming from. My reasons are just more knowing the toll that this game takes on these players, the brain injuries, the CTE, so many now not all that old players well-known household names in the league who are dying and all the autopsies are showing what the game did to their brains. And it is also not lost on me that so many of these players are of a black skin tone. And what we are doing um, 
It just seems like a barbaric game. Now, will I watch a few games this year? Maybe. Am I going to base my next several months around football on television? No, I'm not. Okay. Well, hot enough for you in Denver? We broke heat records this week, and people were really hot when they discovered that Excel had locked them out of control of their thermometers with their new program. Denise, what do you make of this? <laughs> you know, I think at, at, at first glance, you think, oh, it's a little Kafkaesque. You know, here we are, you know, Excel being able to control, you know, through these uh, smart thermostats, excuse me, uh, the, you know, how cool you could put your thermostat on during a hot day. But, but honestly, really, at the end of the day, people signed up for this. It was a voluntary program, and there were benefits uh, that one receives for signing up with this program. So all in all, I, you know, I think it's okay to do this. And I'll also uh, tell folks that it wasn't as if your house was going to stay at 90 indoors when it's 100 outside or anywhere close to that. It was really kind of locking it around the 77, 78 degree temperature, which you know, I think Excel realizes we have some grid resiliency issues, and these sorts of really hot days put more pressure on an already weak grid, and and there there there's work coming to um, to strengthen that a little bit. But I, I think uh, these are some of the things we have to do in a climate changing world. Um, and if folks want to sign up for it on a complete voluntary basis and get some incentives to do it, then I think all is okay. David, would you surrender control of your thermostat? You know, I, when I was replacing my air conditioner this summer, I found out that Excel had put it on my previous air conditioner. I don't remember signing up. Maybe I did. Um, but uh, the air conditioning people told me it actually harms the air conditioner with the, the various ways the electricity surges on uh, when it's got this Excel device on it. But the good news for folks is you're not going to have to sign up for it anymore because Excel is moving Colorado to blackout mode like they're doing in California already. Yes, the grid is weak because Excel has deliberately made it weak because Excel isn't a public service company like they, uh, their name used to be that provides reliable energy at reasonable rates. It's an arm of the government that jacks things up for the state legislature's pseudo-green projects at the cost of the reliability of the grid. One of the uh, electric co-ops that, that co-owns uh, the Comanche plant with Excel is pulling out because they say Excel doesn't maintain it. They're doing terrible service down there over 700 days that that plant's been offline. So Excel is uh, on the way to being a California-style third world energy provider. And we'll all have rolling blackouts whether or not you sign up for the uh, uh, personal blackout device. Any optimistic view on this one, Eric? <laughs> <laughs> Well, if I just hold my breath, it'd be more optimistic than David, I think. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't. I'm, I'm largely with Denise on this one. I, my sense of outrage is somewhat limited. Uh, this was a voluntary program. I assume people signed up for it knowingly. If if that's not the case, then that's a separate uh, discussion. Uh, and I just say it's the shape of things to come. And you can say what you want about Excel, and they're certainly not immune from criticism. Lord knows, but. Um, this is not the last hot summer we're going to have. They're going to get hot. They're going to continue to be hot. They may get hotter. Um, the ability of our energy resources and our grid to keep up is going to continue to get tested. I, I think this is more preview than it is outrage. Penn, did you get hot over this one? Um, 
I got hot, but I enjoyed the heat because I think the thing is this, whether you um, accept the science on climate change or not, the reality is if you've been in Colorado a long time, like many of us has, it's hotter now in the summer than it's ever been. It rains less and we get less snow. Something is happening to our planet. And I would have hoped that Excel would have made it clear to people what they were getting when they got these programmable thermostats, but I don't fault them for trying to be responsible and, and, and regulating how much um, power we use. All right, let's be responsible and not too lengthy. We need your disgrace of the week, David. RTD won't release its ridership data about how many extra riders they got uh, during the, the free month of August. And they say, oh, now we have to do a survey uh, to find out about what people thought about it. And then, you know, six months later, we'll release the minuscule uh, increase in ridership uh, buried as a footnote in the survey. Eric? Right on to that disgrace. There's a legislative candidate in south suburban Denver, Republican, named Marla Fernandez. Fortunately, she has no chance. It's not going to be in the legislature. In this past week, she referred to a number of Democratic legislators, all female, all minority, black or brown, as chimps. Come on, that's loaded. That's dated. Um, we can do better than that, and shame on her. Penn? Um, I'm going to echo a concern of my neighbors that I share. Um, Denver, with this new um, trash program, if you advertise that your day to have your trash picked up is Thursday, please pick it up on Thursday, not Friday, not Saturday, not Sunday. <laughs> and Denise? A federal district court judge out of Texas for the second time uh, ruled a provision of the uh, ACA, the American Character, uh, as, as unconstitutional. And it was because um, the ACA mandates that, that insurance companies provide coverage for HIV-related medication. Um, and uh, the judge ruled it on the basis of uh, religious um, uh, beliefs. Um, I think it's a, it, it is not a well-founded case, and I think this judge for the second time uh, will be overturned, overruled, and let's hope. That's great. And I want to follow up a disgrace from last week. Douglas County Commissioners Laura, Tom Laura Thomas is actually fighting the good fight to keep the pride events at the fairground. Now, David, you're something nice and not too long. Queen Elizabeth II, duty, honor, country, great life. Eric. World lost two people in the last 10 days or so of major note, one who defined the era in many respects, Queen Elizabeth II. The other who really changed the era, and that's Mikhail Gorbachev, and may they both rest in peace. Both good. Penn. Uh, ditto on both of those, and I was surprised to, to read that um, the one president Queen Elizabeth didn't meet was LBJ. Denise. Okay. Um, uh, uh, yesterday, uh, District attorneys from all over the state unveiled a new uh, program or a new project they're doing, which is to actually have data that is publicly available, easily accessible, that tracks who they prosecute, how they prosecute, and uh, lots of different um, uh, things along the prosecutorial stage. And I think even though uh, we're going to see what we've all thought, which is there is a disproportionate burden of prosecution on communities of color, at least now we're going to have the data to see it in real time. And I think that's a, a really good thing to be transparent and, and have that 
accountable. It's a great move, yeah. I want to say uh, a thank you to the Holly Creek crew I spoke to yesterday and to all the viewers of Colorado Inside Out. We really enjoy doing this show for you. That's all the time we have for tonight's show. Be sure to watch Colorado Inside Out on the YouTube channel and get in touch with us at pbs12.org to let us know what you like about this show. Have a good night. Thank you.